Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Veslega, Director of the Section of the Clinical Specialists and Scientists section here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2020 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. Greetings. My name is Craig McDonald. Today we're going to talk about informatics support in disaster scenarios. Our learning objective will be to describe how an informatics team assisted leadership and operations teams during crisis. My team and I come from Advent Health Central Florida Division South with eight different inpatient facilities ranging from 160 to 1400 beds. We have over 600 automated dispensing cabinets and a central fill replenishment center to handle ADCs and central pharmacy inventory. Our informatics team reports up through pharmacy. We also have our PharmNet team, which reports up through AIT. We handle the automation and triage EHR requests while they maintain the EHR. Something that we definitely see in Florida is our first crisis, which is hurricanes. And this largely revolves around supply chain and supply line management during these times. Utilizing our central fill facility, we have always replenished from there in excess of what normal usage would be to supplement for supply chain disruptions. The way we used to supplement inventory traditionally was dropping ADC replenishments twice. This would allow us to have more inventory, but in some cases, not the inventory we needed. We also tried a fill to max approach. That was better with a lot of product, but a lot of product that we didn't necessarily need. To overcome these obstacles, we used a number of different metrics. And putting these metrics together, we were able to determine what is going to drop on this replenishment, as well as what are the things that would normally need to drop over the next few days. We then put the regular replenishment through and manually added the supplemental replenishment to make sure that there was enough for the hurricane period. Transitioning to our next crisis, we had an ADC downtime related to an upgrade where a database was corrupted. Our 600 and some ADC machines were now running slowly or not working at all. We had patients and orders not crossing, as well as the information for our replenishment not being up to date as well. This obviously affected many of our customers as informatics, those customers being anesthesiologists, other providers, nurses, and even the pharmacy themselves. At this point in time, we needed to make sure we kept the communication up and open and in almost real time with regular updates to make sure they understood where are we at right now, what is being going to be worked on and changed soon, and what is the workflow that we should be taking in order to make sure that we can still provide good care to our patients. Logistically, we were triaging a number of problems. We had to make sure we worked with the vendor to prioritize the machines that were down. We also had to make sure that the campuses were aware of how to do manual replenishment and which machines required that. We also had to make sure that our automated replenishments were turned off since those numbers were going to be erroneous in most cases. Coming on to our third scenario, we have COVID-19, specifically looking at the drug inventory and how to track what we had, what we were using, and at what rates across the entire region. 
we were able to bring together data from multiple systems and then trying to determine how to present it so that it would be useful for both our high-level C-suite as well as our pharmacy buyers and everyone in between. At this point, we made dashboards for them to be able to utilize and consolidated all the inventory together with a generic and form grouper. This facilitated many of our purchasing decisions during the early pandemic, as well as facilitates movement of product from one campus to another within the region. Early versions of this were just an Excel sheet was manually updated daily. As we transitioned into a longer term version, we used Power BI and we also had the data automated with different slicers and other pieces of information that could be used. Scaling this up, we also did it across the entire multi-state division of Advent Health as well. Hi, this is Ryan Tabas, Pharmacy Analytics and Outcomes Manager at Ascension. And my informatics pearl is order set alignment across multiple electronic health record platforms in a large multi-state health system. The learning objective for this presentation is to describe a process to coordinate order set build across multiple electronic health record or EHR platforms that aligns clinical content while still allowing for some customization based on EHR functionality. Ascension is a large multi-state health system with 150 hospitals across 20 states. Most of the commercially available electronic health record products such as Epic, Cerner, and Allscripts, among others, are represented in various Ascension clinics and hospitals. There are also multiple instances and domains of the same platform that have different versions or functionalities as well as different medication order set libraries. Also, clinical prescribing patterns and the application of evidence related to disease state management can vary across the system. So the challenge when looking at all that variation is how best to align order set build across the health system takes into account differences in platform functionality and regional prescribing patterns. Our solution to this problem is a decidedly low-tech but pretty elegant build guide that we disperse to all the different builders across the platforms, and it's color-coded as you can see here. The blue color indicates items that are not permitted to be included on the order set at all, while the purple color is required content that must be on the order set and must be either checked or unchecked based on the specification in the build guide. The orange color offers a little more flexibility in that the order must be on the order set but there are some things that are, can be specified by the local ministry, such as whether or not to pre-check and the dosage of the medication. Finally, green color code allows the most flexibility and the ministry can choose whether or not to have the orders on the order set. Hopefully this example illustrates the application of the color coded system. So you can see on top the lidocaine is in blue, which means that lidocaine infusion is not allowed on any of the CV surgery order sets. Our clinical experts have decided that the evidence would make that not appropriate. As we go down, you can see other orders such as daily weight and ICD interrogation in purple, and then pacemaker and eyes and nose in orange. And then finally, green with the most flexibility, it just says IV analgesics and the ministry can decide which ones are included. So you can imagine with all the different build that's going on, uh, we need a way to track over time. So this is an example of a different initiative 
that we tracked with with build with uh, opioid reduction and pain management. And this is the dashboard just to keep us on pace across our large health system and how the build is going. You can imagine that there will be variances that come up across the organization based on functionality or other limitations. And so here are a couple of variance requests that were submitted in particular. One was to update the PRN indication for myelanta from gastric distress to heartburn and indigestion based on the database of that platform, and that was approved. Another was to add pre-surgical MRSA PCR nasal swabs pre-checked, which was also approved. And then one that was not approved was to change the header notes regarding medications to communication orders. And the bill guide stated that we were going to stay away from communication orders for medication orders and instead use the notes section of the medication orders in the order set. Some of the challenges we've encountered are maintaining the order set content after our initial implementation, as well as how to handle provider-specific customization of order sets or favoriting content in order sets. And finally, knowledge sharing amongst analysts in different domains who are supporting similar platforms. Welcome, and thank you for attending. My name is Shardul Patel, and I'll be presenting on fostering a culture of data-driven decision-making with patient-reported outcome measures, drawing on our experiences from the Veterans Health Administration, where I'm an informatics pharmacist. The learning objective for this presentation is provided on this slide. I'll allow a few seconds for your review. To begin, our efforts in Salt Lake City have been focused on building clinical programs consistent with learning health systems principles. By definition, this is a system in which science, informatics, incentives, and culture are aligned for continuous improvement and innovation. This in turn supports best practices seamlessly embedded in the delivery process and new knowledge captured as an integral byproduct of the delivery experience. Separately, there continues to be great interest in using patient-reported outcome measures, which I'll refer to as PROMs for the remainder of this presentation, in both care delivery and research. But oftentimes, implementing PROMs is met with barriers such as limited workforce, lack of assigned individuals to collect measures, inconsistent capture, and more. To overcome these barriers, Franklin and colleagues have established the PROM collection and use framework within a learning health system which is shown on this slide. This framework is to be used sequentially from the bottom up and outlines the necessary actions at each step for successful implementation. Furthermore, it specifies value propositions across stakeholders at each step to ensure comprehensive buy-in and support throughout the implementation. The remainder of my presentation will focus on a use case of the VA Salt Lake City Transitional Pain Service. This is a perioperative pain management program with a primary aim to reduce inappropriate opioid use after surgery. The schematic presented on this slide highlights several steps of how we use the PROM collection and use framework. First, we identified a diverse group of stakeholders and successfully created value propositions for each as outlined in step one. This included veterans, primary care providers, VA leadership, and the research community. Second, we determined that any veteran undergoing surgery should have PROMs collected for opioid decision-making. 
Third, a detailed workflow of when measures should be captured was developed. On the left-hand side of the schematic, there are specific time points as to when data are to be captured by nurses as part of a structured follow-up protocol. This data is entered into the electronic health record as structured data via note templates. Fourth, we convened an expert panel and decided that pain-focused promise measures were the most appropriate and beneficial for post-operative opioid decision-making. We have a dedicated database to support information displays, data processing, and quality improvement initiatives. This slide shows one of the displays that we've developed, which operationalizes the prompt collection workflow in the previous slide to guide daily clinical workload and tasks. The data output informs practice in several ways. First, it supports point-of-care decision-making to provide longitudinal drug dosing data alongside indicators for recovery via PROMISE scores, as shown in this slide. This adds critical information to bolster decision-making for continued opioid prescribing. Second, it supports data aggregation to perform clinic evaluation or identify opportunities for improvement within subgroups. This slide demonstrates the work we've accomplished regarding post-operative clinical trajectories for PROMISE scores. This helps us ascertain the post-operative time points in which veterans may need more support. Furthermore, it helps us manage resources across patients with different clinical presentations to support the veterans who may need it the most. Hi everyone, my name is Gabe Arganchona and I'm the Pharmacy Analytics and Business Intelligence Manager at Kaiser Permanente and today I'll be talking about developing a machine learning model utilizing infection transmission dynamics to inform regional hospital surge predictions. The learning objective for this presentation is focused around recognizing the data artifacts needed to build a predictive model using infection transmission dynamics to forecast hospital surge and subsequent pharmacy resource strain. So in order to effectively predict inpatient pharmacy resource strain, there are a couple of key items that need to be well understood. From the standpoint of the health system or hospital in general, when it comes to demand, it is important to know the likely volume of that demand as well as the timing of the demand. Once those are understood, then inferences can be estimated related to medication utilization, pharmacy materials, operational staffing, clinical staffing, and then any subsequent bottlenecks within pharmacy operations. So the traditional approach is usually most commonly seen during cold flu season. Uh, we have understandings of our general population that we serve, as well as the disease expectations for that year. We take those and we're able to make uh, solid or informed decisions related to our operational capacity, our clinical staffing, our drug utilization, and then our supply chain or our materials logistics. When COVID-19 first hit back in late February and early March, uh, we all had to go back to the drawing board to determine how this new pathogen in our populations was ultimately going to affect hospital surge and pharmacy resources. I, know, I think everybody has some level of familiarity with what to expect uh, during cold and flu season and the relationships between influenza and hospital demand you know, during the peak of cold and flu season. But in COVID-19, early on in that, we really had to rebuild that link so we could better understand the strain that was going to be placed on health systems and then subsequently on pharmacy resources. Uh, what we ultimately targeted or tried to do was develop a machine learning model to map the relationship between population effects of COVID-19. So looking at some very early on data related to transmission characteristics and pathogen infectiousness 
and then really trying to map out how we expected that disease to spread through the community, and then ultimately what the kind of subsequent or pending hospital demand or hospital surge would look like. And then from there, we could just use what we knew uh, to better understand what pharmacy resource strain would potentially be. It's very important to create a modeling foundation that's easily adaptable. This was really helpful to us during kind of the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak because it seemed like new information and, and new data related to transmission, related to infectiousness was published daily. And then what we were able to do is we could quickly adapt the clinical inputs of our model to reflect that best available information about COVID-19 and then really quickly update what our forecasts were and what we thought those, how we thought those forecasts were going to relate to hospital system demand uh, and pharmacy resource strain. Uh, what we ultimately did is we used an SEIR-based framework. Uh, SEIR stands for susceptible, exposed, infected, and then removed from the population. Uh, and that framework utilized different stochastic probability distributions and some Bayesian statistics. Uh, we wrote it in R and R Studio, and it really helped us account for a lot of the unknowns surrounding COVID-19 infections, and we could easily reforecast projections as new information became available. Once you have a solid foundation and epidemiological forecast, you can enhance the model by building and automating conversions of infection counts, the data points that are specific to hospital demand, and then you can tie in the expected hospital demand into what the likely pharmacy resource strain will be. Ultimately, what can be built is a flow that looks similar to this, going from the clinical inputs of the offending pathogen, so understanding infectiousness, transmission characteristics, and then potentially the model could allow you to understand subgroup effects and outcomes. You can take that information and tie it in with your health system information related to census data and known drug utilization to predict any unexpected demand and then identify potential supply chain needs. And you can use that information to really make solid, informed decisions about reallocating resources as long as you understand pharmacy capacity and your operational breakpoints. And just like with any machine learning model, it's important to engineer a solid data pipeline and routinely retrain the model as needed. Hello, my name is Victoria Vargas from McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. By the end of this presentation, I'd like for you to be able to identify controlled substance usage data for an accountability audit as part of a Drug Diversion Prevention Program, or DEA, visit. The inevitable DEA visit will include a drug accountability audit. In this request, the DEA agents ask a pharmacy department to account for 100% of units of a particular controlled substance across a specific time frame. If your department is not organized or practiced, you may find yourself trying to comb through thousands of lines of data. Worse, you may be unable to complete the audit or discover a loss of controlled substance that was previously undetected. But you can save yourself this anguish and stress by being prepared. If you regularly practice, fully utilize an automated dispensing system, or ADS, export your data, and utilize pivot tables, you can complete a drug accountability audit in five minutes. Now on the screen is the mock DEA audit worksheet we use at our institution, which is based off the worksheet we have seen and used during DEA visits. Through the rest of this presentation, I will show you how to obtain the seven data points needed to complete this audit. While beyond the scope of this presentation, pivot tables are pivotal in quickly completing this task. If you are not familiar, seek training. Using the pivot table function, I transformed the thousand line spreadsheet on the left of this slide to the table on the right in just six clicks. To obtain data points one and seven, we must find starting and ending quantity on hand. So you have control over your starting and ending dates 
I suggest scheduling an automated spreadsheet of quantity on hand of all controlled substances in all ADSs to be emailed to your inbox every day at midnight. This way, you're ready for an accountability audit on any day. Otherwise, it's far more difficult to establish historical quantity on hand. Avoid using the present as the end date. Instead, consider the end of the previous day or shift as your endpoint to ensure all transactions are complete. Transform your spreadsheet into a table using the pivot table function. Be aware of the common pitfalls in this step. Ensure you're accounting for ADSs that have more than one bin of the same controlled substance correctly. For example, your spreadsheet may include both total quantity on hand and bin quantity on hand. Be sure you're using the right metric. Also ensure to include all and only relevant ADS machines, particularly if you have more than one DEA license or satellite campuses. For data point two, generate a purchase report from your medication distributors. To find data points three, four, and five, export transaction details for the specified time frame and drug to a spreadsheet. Transform that spreadsheet using a pivot table. To avoid pitfalls in this step, ensure your dates are correct to the hour. For example, are you looking at July 30th at 12 a.m. or July 30th at 11.59 p.m.? Also, identify transactions that are double counting the same inventory movement so they can be eliminated. Double counting inventory can occur in several circumstances. For example, counting both the waste of a partial dose and the issue of a full dose may be double counting. Therefore, do not include the waste of a partial dose as this is already accounted for in the issue of the full tablet to the patient. In contrast, waste from the pharmacy must always be included as this is not accounted for in any other way. Another example is the movement of inventory throughout the hospital. Restocks and destocks should never be included in the accountability audit as they are just the relocation of inventory, not additions or decrements. Finish your accountability audit by taking the starting quantity on hand, adding quantity purchased and quantity returned, and subtracting quantity issued and quantity expired, wasted, or transferred. If your expected quantity on hand does not equal your actual quantity on hand, review your daily controlled substance activity notes for discrepancy resolution reasons and erroneous transactions. Remember, the mock accountability audit is only one part of a controlled substance diversion prevention and monitoring program. For the best results, review ADS activity daily and maintain notes on discrepancies and erroneous transactions. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at Days HB Official wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2020 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Vexlega from ASHP Official, and thank you for all that you do for our patients. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.